Let me ask you this. Have you ever been part of a team that is just completely failing its ministry? I mean, it's just a total flop. Maybe it's like a sports team. Maybe it's a work team. But whatever it is, you're just part of this team. And as you look down your team and you look at the mission that you have set out before you, you just realize that you have no hope of accomplishing it. Have you ever been part of a team like that? Maybe for imagination's sake, let's just pretend it's a baseball team and that's your position. And I, uh, I have to imagine this kind of stuff because usually on a sports team, I am the reason that the team is um, flopping and failing. So I have to imagine I'm in that position. But you're, you're, on this, you're on the bench and you're looking out and your team's just being annihilated. And you're wondering, like, what do we need to do to accomplish the mission of winning this game? Like, what's going wrong? What source do we need to plug into? And you look down your bench and right beside you, there he is. The man himself, Burnt Out Billy. Burnt Out Billy's there. He works 80 hours a week, 15 hours a day. He's laboring hard, physical labor. Before your baseball game, he goes and hits the gym. And then he comes to your baseball game and he's got nothing left to give. He can hardly swing the bat. He can hardly run the bases. He is completely burnt out. Well, you recognize that Baseball's a team sport, and so it's got to be more than one person that's the problem. But you look beside Burnt Out Billy, and there's Apathetic Annie. And Apathetic Annie, she just doesn't care about anything. She, you, you wonder why she's even there. Does she want to win the game? She hardly swings. She hardly runs. It doesn't even look like she's giving an effort. She shows up half the time. Well, it's not even just Burnt Out Billy or Apathetic Annie, because beside Apathetic Annie is Joyless Jack. And Joyless Jack started, joined the team with great zeal, but now all the joy has been robbed of him, and he just doesn't want to be there, and he's bringing everyone down. And you keep looking down the bench, and you see these problems that are affecting your team. What a tragedy. Yet I wonder if it's a greater tragedy if the church of Jesus Christ is functioning like that as we seek to serve others. Let me ask you that. What if the church of Jesus Christ functions like that? What if we have a mission set out before us to serve others for the glory of God? And yet we've had our eyes so focused on other things that we are burnt out. This morning, we want to learn to think biblically about service. And we've been working through this series. And what we have been doing is thinking biblically about these subjects, but especially in light of the worldly values that can often become what we hold on to rather than the values that the word of God tells us we need to hold on to. And I want to suggest to you that perhaps there is no greater way than we, that we have been influenced by the world than in our service. Worldly values have just infiltrated our church. Think about the values of service that you see in the world. Walk into the, into the office of a worldly counselor and they'll tell you, you need to look inside yourself. It's all about you. You need to heal yourself. You need to think about the things that have been done wrong to you, 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 you. Go to the bookstore, pull out a book on productivity, and it's all about how you can climb the corporate ladder by being the best you, how you can make yourself better, how you can get more things done. Go to the next aisle over to the best-selling books, and you'll find all these self-help books, all these books that promise to make you the best you, you can be. Our world is replete with these values and it's a great problem if that type of thinking has infiltrated the church because it dries us out. Anyone ever fe felt just absolutely dried out in service? Maybe you started serving others with joy. You were ecstatic at the position that you had, and now it's just sorrow. 
Maybe you started with zeal and energy. You woke up in the morning to come to church on a Sunday morning and you just hopped out of bed, but now you're weary, you're tired, you're heavy laden. Maybe at one point service to you is a gift, but now it's just a burden. I want to ask you, is this the way it should be? Is this the way our serving should be? We've all felt that, we've all experienced that, but is that really what it's supposed to look like? Is there a better source to tap into? Is there something that can bring restoration to our broken and often worldly service? Scripture is replete. It's this. Christ serving you. Christ serving you is the source, the only source that can sustain you serving others. If you miss everything else in this whole message and take one thing, take that home. Christ serving you is the source of you serving others. We see this all throughout Scripture, but I want to break down our, uh, our talk this morning into three um, headings. And the first one is the call to service, and we see this in Mark chapter 10, 45. And just for context, let me read from Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Mark writes this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, that's Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The first thing that we see in Scripture is the call to service. And I kind of want to work backwards through this text, starting on Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Look at what Jesus says there. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for for many. The weight of these words are compounded as you think about the context of Mark. Over the past three chapters of Mark, if you read it, you will see Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to Jerusalem for one reason, to die. And as he's walking towards Jerusalem with his disciples, there are crowds that are flocking in to see him. They're flocking in to see this man that is raising dead people to life. Crowds are gathering to see this man who calls himself the Son of God and heals the sick. And all throughout the way, Jesus is teaching the crowds about God. And his one message is this, the Son of Man must die in order to receive the crown. The Son of Man must die in order to receive the crown. Now that's something that's so central to our understanding of Christianity and our understanding of the gospel. But, was, but what is so central to us was completely outrageous to the disciples. And it's fascinating. If you read through it, Mark chapter 8 to 10, three times 
Jesus predicts his death saying, I'm going to die on a cross. And three times the disciples ignore him and respond in a wrong way. They respond to Jesus kind of like the way that we sometimes respond to. You know, you've ever met someone that has like a really, um, they're just really passionate about this hobby that you don't really get. And they always talk to you about it. And what do you do when they start bringing that up? You go, oh, here he goes again. Here she goes again, right? And we're walking in, as we look at this text, we're walking into a moment where the disciples are looking to Jesus and saying, oh, here he goes again, going off about that death thing. And yet Jesus has a word for them. Jesus has a word for them. Even though they don't get it. Look at verse 45 again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. How striking that was for the disciples. Wait, wait, wait. You mean you're the Messiah? You're the King? You're the one who's coming to establish an earthly reign? You're the one who's going to sit on the throne and you're telling me you didn't come to be served? Like if anyone is to be served, it's you. So explain to me who we're supposed to serve if we don't serve you, Jesus. See, the, the disciples, they understood like we just sang that Jesus was king. And yet what they misunderstood was the reason that Jesus came to serve. Jesus came not to be served by you, disciples, but to, be, but to serve you. It's not only grates against the disciples' understanding of Jesus, it also grates against ours. I mean, we recognize, we sing, we herald the truth that Jesus is the most glorious object of our worship. That there's nothing greater. That he's the king of the universe. That he's upholding the universe by the word of his power. That he's the one through whom all things were created. He is the king and so he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our sacrifice. He's worthy of us giving up our entire lives in order to follow him. He's worthy to be served. And yet, Jesus wants to expose in our hearts this morning that he did not come to be served even though he was worthy of it. And thinking about him as though he needs to be served is worldly. We are called to Christian service as we realize that we don't exist to serve Jesus. Let me say that again. We're called to Christian service as we realize that we don't exist to serve Jesus. We exist to be served by Jesus. We exist for him to serve us. Sometimes I wonder if, um, you know, like Jesus came in humanity, and I, I kind of wonder if sometimes he had to do the crazy things that we have to do as humans, like, you know, go to a I guess it wouldn't have been service Ontario for him, but it would have been service Jerusalem to get permits for his donkey, right? And he walks into that line and, and he gets there and, and like every other time he's gone, there's a four-hour lineup, right? And there's 15 tables, but there's only two of them with staff there. And he's at the back of this line in his humanity. And I kind of wonder, like, did Jesus ever play the divinity cart? You know, like he's back there. He's like, hey, um, I'm the king of the universe back here at the back of the line, you know, I'm upholding the universe by the word of my power. I kind of deserve to be served first. And the people at the table were like, okay, yeah, you know what? That guy probably should come to the front of the line. I kind of wonder if he ever played that divinity card. And yet Jesus says, no, I didn't come to be served. I came, in fact, to serve you. The problem is that too many of us have an idea that our identity is rooted in what we do for Jesus and not what he has done for us. And we can be prone to treat salvation not like it's an invitation, but like it's a job offer. 
I can remember a glorious day where I sat down on my computer and I opened it up and I looked in my email and there's this email from a guy, I don't know if you guys would have ever heard of him, his name was Ian Hales, and the email said job offer. And I opened it up and I was ecstatic. I was like, do they have the right guy? Like, did they read the wrong resume? Did they call the wrong references? Did they interview the right person? And yet this thing said job offer. And when I opened it up, there was a whole bunch of tasks listed out that I would do. And implicit in that job offer was the understanding that if I came and for the first two weeks just kicked up my feet at my desk, sat back and relaxed and did absolutely nothing, I would be out of there pretty quickly. You see, I, I came to Harvest Durham to serve, not to be served, not just to receive the rewards that come for working at a church, but I came primarily to, to serve. There are things for me to do, and yet salvation is not a job offer. It's not a job offer. It's not an offer for you to come and work for Jesus so that you can receive life. It's an invitation for you to come and see the work that Jesus has done for you. It's an invitation to come, not to serve Jesus, but to be served by him. And so naturally, our question out of this is, is why? Why did Jesus serve us and how did he serve us? Well, look at the end of verse 45. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus came and the way that he would serve us was by dying a death on the cross. He would come for a people that were completely helpless on their own. A people that could do nothing to merit their own salvation. A people that could do nothing to merit their own works. A people that, if they weren't served by Jesus in this critical way, would eternally perish. He came to a people that were rebels against him. He came to a people that were at enmity with him. He came to a people that were against the authority of his rule. And he came to serve them. Now we understand that, that when we rebel against an authority, there's a punishment that's deserved. And in the same way, in our sinful state, we were worthy of God's wrath. We were worthy of it. There's no way around it. We were caught red-handed as sinners and we had no way out. But this is what Jesus does for you. He doesn't come to establish an earthly kingdom where you just work for him and, and live under his reign. He comes to establish a kingdom where you find salvation and invite you to it. He comes to serve you in the way that you need to be served. He gives his life as a ransom for the many. And so understand this, that if you are in a seat this morning, that Jesus came to serve you by giving his life as a ransom for you, to buy you. Now some of you, you hear that invitation to live for the, the Christ who served you, and you've never seen Jesus like that. Maybe to you, Jesus has always been this taskmaster. Maybe he's always been this, you know, you need to do, 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 work, work, work. And this is the first time that the Spirit is pressing on your heart saying, no, Jesus came to serve you. He came so that you could live in his work. He came so that you could live in his righteousness. And, and the call to you is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. The call to you is to turn from the ways that you've been living and to give your life to Jesus Christ, the one who came to this earth on a missionary mission to serve you. He came for you. Christ has served us. Now, you need to see this. See how there's no possibility of Christian service apart from Christ's death and resurrection. 
and calling us to serve by serving us, by giving us his life, Jesus showed us that that's not possible to serve if he didn't die. He showed us that the goal of our service is to point to Jesus Christ. The mission of our service is to highlight what happened on the cross, to show people that there is the Son of God who came to this earth to die, to give his life as a ransom so that you might have life. All service points to this great reality. We serve so that others can have life by his ransom. Now, this is why it's such an issue if if your whole Christian life, you had, you've never had a desire to serve. If you have been apathetic to serving Jesus Christ in his church, then you need to see the connection here. To be apathetic to serving others is to be apathetic to seeing Jesus Christ glorified in other people's hearts. If you don't care for service, then I say this in love. The reality is you just don't care that other people love Jesus because the point of our service is to point to Jesus Christ. And so if you really love Jesus, you're gonna do everything you can to point to him. Say, you gotta see Jesus. You gotta gotta partake in this glory. You gotta find salvation at the cross. You do everything you can to point to him. And so now, now look in the context of our church at Harvest or whatever church you attend. Look in the context of it and see how every single serving opportunity does just this. It points to the gospel. There's nothing. You can go down the whole list of opportunities there are to serve at Harvest, at this church, and you will not find a single thing that its primary focus in some way is not to point to the cross. Everything. And so you might say, oh, no, I'm on setup. That has nothing to do with gospel work. That has nothing to do with proclaiming Jesus Christ. Well, you need to know that that has everything to do with it and that without you, we just, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have a chair to sit on. We wouldn't have a room that's set up for us to worship in. And so we need you in order for us to proclaim Jesus Christ. I love the worship team because you just got to, sometimes you got to like hear their language. I wish I could just like play a recording. They're, they're, the worship team just has such a strong desire, and this is why I just love them so much. They just don't want to be seen. Like they, they want you all to just not recognize that there's a band up here and to see a Savior that loves you. And I think that if there's like a room up there, and if they could just play in that room and not be seen at all most of the time, I think they'd appreciate that. They just want you to look right through them and see Jesus Christ. This is the call to service in the ransom of Jesus Christ. Well, we see the call to service. Now we need to see the character of service. Once gripped with the truth that Jesus came to serve us, the character of our service is going to be completely transformed. Now put yourself in the shoes of the disciple, disciples for a moment. Like The disciples truly believed that Jesus was the king of the universe. So much so, it's actually really crazy if you think about it. Jesus came to them, and they had some recognition of who he was, and they were fishing on a boat, and Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And they jumped out of their boat, and they followed him. They left their families, they left their jobs, they left all because they believed that Jesus was worthy of being pursued. And so now, as they're walking with Jesus, they also believe that Jesus is king, that he's going to establish a kingly rule. And so James and John come, and they say, hey, I want to serve in this kingdom. I want to be a part of this movement. I want to sit at your left hand. I want to sit at your right hand. I want to be right beside you as you're ruling. I want to be serving you. 
And yet what they didn't recognize is that Jesus would show them that, that in this kingdom, in the new salvation that they have, there is a new character of service. Three things we need to see about the character of service in this passage. First is that our service needs to be gospel-focused. Look at verse 42. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In order to show the disciples that their service needs to be gospel-focused, what Jesus does is he takes a picture of worldly service and worldly work and worldly ruling, and he shows them that that's not them. You see these people? They labor for power, for position, for prestige. But that's not you, disciples. That's not you. You see, these, these people, they only work so that they can be served. They only serve so that they can receive, receive gain for themselves. They never forsake themselves. They do everything for me to feed the me monster. They're doing everything for themselves. But that's not you, disciples. Your service is to be gospel-focused. Disciples weren't in this world, and greatness for them was not defined by prestige, power, and position. It's pretty crazy when you actually th think about that verse. The Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That means like literally they just use other people for their own good. They subdue other people and they use them for their purposes. They serve to be served. Well, it's very possible to look at them and point our finger and yet I believe it, that this is so, we're so prone to this type of service. Service that only has our own interests in sight. Service that is only done for our own gain. Service that is done in order to be served. See, sometimes we can serve in order to be served by God, right? And that sounds like a good thing, but our service can be motivated by believing that our position with God is changing depending on the amount of service that we do. Like maybe if I just really hunger down, really start serving, God will love me more and God will start answering my prayers. We believe that service is tied to gain from God. That if we serve, we will be served by God. You need to see how prone I am to this as a preacher. Preaching every week at youth and even preaching this morning, it's so easy for me to sit in that chair and and have my feelings about how this message is going to go be dictated by the way that I've served that week. So there's certain weeks where I, maybe I've served really well. You know, I've been in the Word. I've been praying. I've been serving my family. I've been working really hard at the office. And I've been just, I've been just giving myself for the service of others. And I say, okay, now Jesus is, you know, I'm going to rake it in. God really loves me. He really needs me. He's really going to use this. I'm in such a good position with God right now. On the flip side, there are, there are times where I sit before a message and I think about my week and maybe I haven't been in the word as much and maybe it's been prayerless and maybe I just feel like I haven't given it my all and I sit there and I hold my head in my hands and I think, what am I going to do? Like, there's no way God's going to bless this with the way I've served him this week. Jesus wants to expose to us this morning that that is wrong thinking. That's thinking that you can serve in order to get served by God. That's thinking that you can serve in order to gain from God. Gospel-focused service is continually saying this, I don't need to serve for position before God because Jesus has served me. 
And because Jesus served me, I have the best position before the Father. He looks at me and he sees his own son. There's no amount of service in the whole world that could get me that position. Some of us serve to be served by God, but also some of us serve in order to be served by others. You know, we serve. Don't don't put me in any of those behind-the-scenes ministries. I want people to see me serving. You know, I want them to see me with a smile on my face, loving service. Meanwhile, everything inside of us is a wreck. Our Bible reading is non-existent. Our prayer life is dead. And yet, we want to make sure that other people think we're really, ser- we're really spiritual. And so we serve in order that they can see us. We serve to get the gain of their appreciation. But listen, gospel-focused serving frees you from this. Gospel-focused serving frees you from needing to the praise of other people. Gospel-focused serving frees you from needing to please other people because God is already pleased by you. You've been served by the Son. The Son, Jesus Christ, has come to serve you so that now in your relationship with God, God is pleased by you. Our serving needs to be gospel-focused. Next, Jesus wants to show us how our service needs to be kingdom-focused. Look at verse 43. We're just going to read the first part of it. It says, But it shall not be so among you, I want to think about that. It shall not be so among you. Think about what that doesn't say. Like what Jesus doesn't say here is, okay, here's a picture of the world. You guys need to pursue not being like that. Okay, so here's a command. Here's the world. Don't be like the world. That's not what he says. He actually says, no, you are not like the world. That is an indicative statement. That is not who you are. Here's the world. You've been saved from that. You see, Jesus Christ came to ransom you from your selfish ways. He came to free you from believing that you could find joy, that you could find pleasure, that you could find satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus came to ransom you from your selfishness. And now he came to free you to serve the kingdom. He has invited you into a relationship with him. And when you repent and believe, you are now under the rule of Jesus Christ. You are in his kingdom. Our service, as we serve in the church, as we serve others, it's an expression of the fact that we've been served in the most ultimate way. We've been served in the most ultimate way. Our service is gospel-focused. It's kingdom-focused. But our service is also others-focused. Look at verse 44. Verse 43 and 44. Jesus says this, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Our service is to be others focused. Now I want you to notice a few things about this verse. Notice the word must. Jesus says whoever would be great among uh, among you must be your servant. And whoever would be First among you must be your slave. You see, service in the church is not optional. There's no other path to greatness. There's no other pursuit that will lead you to greatness. It's not optional for you. Sometimes, I don't know if there's anyone in this room that's like this. Um, sometimes you're driving and maybe there's someone in your passenger seat and you pull up to a stop sign and you kind of, you know, you don't do the full stop. You just kind of do what we like to call a rolling stop. Anyone like that? Nice, just myself. I feel pretty wicked right now and condemned by all of you. Thank you. But we roll up and then maybe you roll by and the person beside you, they say, hey, what was that? That was a stop sign back there. And what I like to say to that person is actually, you don't know this, but that was actually a stoptional sign. 
It was optional. I didn't need to stop at it. And I joke to say that, but sometimes we treat God like serving. That's just optional. That's just optional. There's other paths to success. There's other paths to greatness in God's kingdom. But Jesus wants to remind us this morning, no, there's only one path. If you humble yourself and serve others, there's only one path to greatness. When we can be prone to think that there's other paths, maybe if I work on myself, maybe if I'm more productive, maybe if I'm a better Christian, me, 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 the me monster gets alive, maybe then I'll truly be great. But Jesus says there's only one way. It's only by serving others. And so help me out here. Let's just take a moment to preach the gospel to each other, okay? I don't want to do all the work this morning. Can you take your finger and can you poke someone around you and say, you're another? Okay, I want to see everyone poked. I'm not going to stop until everybody's poked. We're going to, we can be here all day. All right? Feel the, not in the eye. No eye pokes. All right? We got some uh, paramedics at the back. If anyone did get poked in the eye, you can just, no, I'm just kidding. Everybody who was poked is another. And now look around and see everybody that was just poked, everyone that was an other. That is your path to greatness. If you want to pursue greatness in the kingdom of God, then you need to put that person first before your interests. You sacrifice yourself for the other. You're here not for yourself. You're here for others. Character of our service is others-focused. Notice also this. Um, Jesus uses some pretty strong words in this passage. You see, he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And I imagine the, you know, the people listening to Jesus heard that and they're like, <laughs> Jesus, I'm a fisherman, okay? I'm not going to be anybody's servant. And then Jesus says, actually, whoever wants to be first among you must be, you must be their slave. I don't, I don't think that there's a cultural comparison to this. Like Jesus says, you need to be the lowest of the low. And so quit your job, leave your family. You're now a slave to the, to the other person that's around you. You're a slave to their desires. You work for them now in this kingdom. You are other focused. Jesus is a hilarious guy. And there's some things I, I think we miss. Like Jesus one time said, um, you can't enter the, a rich man can't enter the kingdom of God unless a donkey can enter the, or sorry, a camel can enter the eye of a needle. I think when he said that, people were just roaring laughing. And I think this is another moment where people were like roaring, like, you know, like that deep belly laugh. I think God loves laughter. Actually, Martin Luther said, if, if there's no laughter in heaven, I don't want to go there. And I think Jesus just loves that. And I think as he says this, people are just laughing like that deep belly laugh. But then as the laughs reside, they recognize what this kingdom is all about. You need to make others first. You need to, you need to put others before you. The character of our service is others focused. Now, now see Jesus as the supreme example of this. See Jesus as the supreme example of gospel focus, of kingdom focus, of others focus, of the character our service needs to be like. You see, he came and he was worthy of a crown, but he died to death, not, not of a slave. See, slaves have some freedom. They can breathe. They can walk around. But Jesus wasn't given that freedom. He died the death of a criminal. He made himself infinitely lower than he was so that he could serve others. He lost the freedom to move. He lost the freedom to breathe so that he could serve others, so that he could give his life as a ransom for many. See Jesus Christ as the example of our service. 
Now, really practically, one of the ways that you can best pursue this type of others-first humility is by serving in the church in an area that you don't think you're necessarily gifted for and you don't feel necessarily called to, but you recognize that there's a great need in the church for that thing. And so you forsake what you feel your gifts are, you forsake what you feel your calling is, and you help in that area because you recognize that ministry exists to point to Jesus Christ. And right now there are holes, there are ways that Jesus can be more effectively pointed to that are not happening because someone's not stepping up to serve there. And so I'm going to forsake myself, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to serve somewhere that I feel is lower than myself for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you're a small group leader and you're like, oh, that's not for me. Sorry, I just had to pick on the small group leaders for a second. We need to see the character of our service. First, we see the call of service. Then we see the character of service. Lastly, we see the context of service. And for us to talk about this, I just want to turn over to Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 25 and 26. The context of Philippians 1 is Jesus is, or sorry, Paul is in prison and he's writing a, church, a letter to the church of Philippi. And as he's writing, his, his wrists are literally in chains. He's in jail. And yet he wants to affirm for the church that just because his wrists are bound doesn't mean that the gospel is bound. No, the gospel is abounding without him to, for the glory of God. It's bearing fruit among Christ's disciples. People are preaching the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. See, this church doesn't need Paul. And yet in the midst of it, we, we get a glimpse in just the personal aspect of Paul's service as he considers, maybe then, if, I, if the gospel's going forward, maybe I should just die. Maybe it would be good if I died in this prison. And he considers death, and we're just going to read it in a second, but he considers death, and he realizes, if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus Christ. Like in an instant, I breathe my last breath. I am at home with the Lord, the one I love so much. Like if there was anyone on this earth apart from Jesus who longed to see God, then I think it was Paul. And he thinks about his death, how in an instant he can be before the Lord, before the angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he thinks about that. And after thinking about that, what could possibly cause him to say, I need to remain here? Well, look at verse 21 in Philippians chapter 1. It says these words, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See, it's amazing. In light of what, Jesus, in light of what Paul could have in seeing Jesus when he dies, he chooses, he says, I need to live. I need to live. And, and something, a decision like that makes us ask, why? Like, what could be possibly be so Great, so important that you need to not see the Lord Jesus Christ today. And Paul says this in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see, Paul considers both of these paths, one to death and glory with Jesus Christ, and one to life and fruitful labor, and he considers that he needs to stay. He needs to stay for the sake of the church. He needs to stay in order that he can serve other people. 
Out of this, we get three amazing applications that we need to take to heart. And so as we say this, would you just affirm these in your heart? Say, I'm going to respond to God's word in this way. The first is this way. I will serve to manifest God's gifts. Notice first that only Paul was sufficient. He uses the word I. Like that's really, when you think about it, is astounding in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. I will remain. You see, Paul recognized that God had a purpose for his life. He had a purpose for him, that God had uniquely gifted him for ministry in the church, that if he were to pass away, no one else could fill the hole that he left. And you need to hear this this morning, okay? That's not just the Apostle Paul. You can't get away from God's gifting by just saying, oh, that's Paul, you know, it's not me. I'm infinitely less gifted than him. God has uniquely gifted you. And the reason why you sit in a chair, church, and the reason why you're breathing is because God has gifted you for service in the church. God has gifted you to point other people to the cross of Jesus Christ. He's uniquely gifted you for service. You serve to manifest, to manifest his gifts. I'm uniquely reminded of, just like in this room, if you look around, I just know some of you so personally, and, and there's just such a unique diversity of gifts. Like, God is just uniquely gifted, you guys, in such different ways, and daily I'm reminded of this unique gifting in my own marriage. You see, my wife, we're like, in many ways, night and day different, and one of the ways that we're most different is that she is, like, infinitely artistic, and I am not. And so sometimes, I, I like often forget this, and so I'll come home, and there's like a painting, and I'm like, what, is, is like Picasso here or something? How did this get here? I'm like, oh yeah, my wife is an artist. And she's started to do these things. Um, she puts together these three wooden planks. And it, this actually really humiliates me too, because if you know me, you know I'm not, a, I'm not like a handy person at all. But I come home from work and my wife's out there with power tools and she's just robbing me of my man card almost every day. But she's putting together these pieces of wood and then she's, She's staining them, and she's painting on them this beautiful art. And one day I came home from work, freshly had my head in the text, thinking about this message, and I, I see that my wife, she's been laboring over these wood signs all day, just really busy, getting after it, painting. And so I look to the, my wife, the wife of my youth, and I look her into the eyes, wanting just to serve her so faithfully, and I say to her, Amber, let me paint a letter for you. And she looks to me with the adoration that only my wife has. And she says, no way! <laughs> right? She recognizes that I have the artistic ability of about a grade two. Like, it's right there. And then if I paint that sign, I will drastically ruin it. And so if someone's doing the sign painting, it should probably be her. And it's the same way in the church. God has uniquely gifted you for service in his church. He has uniquely given you talents. He's put some of you in different positions where you can serve in different ways that some other people can't. And so see God's gifts that he's given to you and manifest them in the local church. One of the really practical ways that we can discover where we're gifted is through others. Like you guys ever seen, you watch maybe like America. American Idol or like America's Got Talent or something and you see the person come up and totally just like absolutely bomb it, like fall on their face and you know they sing horribly and you kind of scratch your head and you wonder how did this person make it this far? Who doesn't love this person enough to tell them that their voice is horrid and that they're going to embarrass themselves if they do this? 
Right? You wonder that. And yet, what that reveals to us is we don't do it in such an embarrassing way, but sometimes we can't see what our own gifts are. Sometimes we need other people to look at us and show us our giftings. And so you need to know, in the call to ministry, every person on staff here has done that. They've gone to other people and they've said, hey, hey, do you think I'm called to ministry? Do you think I'm called to service? Do you think I'm gifted for this task? And we have other people affirm for us our gifts. And so this is why small group is so important. Because in small group, you get so closely knit with other people. You get so closely knit with other people and they see you, they know your giftings and you can look to them and say, hey, where do you think I need to serve? Where, where do you think I'm most gifted to serve? And so let me just encourage you, if you don't know, like, like right now you're thinking about, well, what has God gifted me with? You, you need to go to someone that knows you and they can show you just different areas maybe that you'll fit in the service of um, ministry at Harvest Durham. And so go to your small group leaders, and small group leaders, let me just give you a piece of advice. Whenever someone comes to you, no matter what their gift set is, just send them to Harvest Kids, all right? Just, oh yeah, you are gifted for Harvest Kids. I see it in you. I, I've never seen this kind of talent before. You got to get down there, right? And so I'm joking, but there's definite need there. So the f- I will serve to manifest God's gifts. Another thing that Paul shows us is we need to apply this. I will serve to mature God's people. I'm going to serve to mature God's people. Look at verse 25, um, this last section there. He says, well, why, why is he going to remain and, and continue? For your progress and joy in the faith. You see, Paul looks at himself, he looks at his life, and he realizes, I need to stay for other people to mature in their faith, for their progress. I need to stay so that other people have the joy of Jesus Christ in their heart. Like, if I leave, there's going to be some people that are in need of maturing, that are in need of progress, that will not mature, that will not go further down the path of sanctification, that will not not pursue Jesus more deeply than they are now because I didn't serve. I need to serve for the sake of maturing God's people. And now this is why I love the mission statement of our church because it comes up time and time again in scripture and this is another place where it comes up. You guys probably know the mission statement. If you do, just say it with me. Our mission is to see lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. That's what we're here to do. That is the banner that every ministry at Harvest points to. And the center of that is maturity. We want to see people grow. If we're not growing, then it's not worth it. We want to mature in Jesus Christ. We want to mature in our walk with the Lord. And so recognize that every ministry that we have at Harvest is all about maturing in Jesus Christ. And this is also why we say that a mature disciple of Jesus Christ not only worships Christ, not only walks with Christ, those are two important things, but a mature disciple of Christ also works for Christ. A mature disciple of Christ gets their hands dirty for the sake of the gospel so that they can serve others to see the glory of Jesus Christ. I loved it. I just love walking in this church. I love seeing people serve to the glory of God. And I went to shake a guy's hand this morning. He said, oh, I can't shake your hand. It's too dirty. Man, I just pray there's some day where we're all like, sorry, I can't shake it. It's too, too dirty from serving the Lord. It won't because this place isn't too dirty and dusty, but that person just today had served so hard, they, their hands were just a mess. And it was beautiful to see. They were giving their life. They were working for Christ to see the mission accomplished. 
A mature disciple of Christ must work for Christ. Now, when Ian and I were talking about this message, one of the things that he said to me is, you can kind of preach like a get-in or get-out message. And as I thought more about that, I, I said, I'm not going to do that because if I did that and then like say 20% of the people leave and he comes back from Romania, I'm not going to have a job anymore. <laughs> but suffice to say, hear it from him. If you are in the church, then you're called to service. Everyone has a job. Everybody has a task. Everybody longs to see Jesus Christ glorified and his people matured. That brings us to our last point of application. I'm going to serve to manifest God's gifts. I'm going to serve to mature God's people. And lastly, I will serve to magnify Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul recognizes that his ministry, that his service towards others is going to cause them to see Jesus Christ more clearly, to glory in the cross. And so he can't leave because it's all about God's glory. And I just got to tell you, I just, I just love walking in here on a Sunday morning. I love this church, and I just love how many people are so faithfully doing this. Like when I read this, I really think that in a lot of people in our church, this is exemplified. People who are serving, they're giving their time, they're giving their energy, they're giving their talents, they're giving their gifts all for the sake of God's glory. And I love that about our church. And I I do believe that scripture says, honor those whom are worthy of honor. And so can we just take a moment just to give a round of applause for those people in our church that are serving so faithfully week in, week out. We're just so thankful for whatever ministry you're in. And we need you desperately. I need you desperately. I'm just, I I need you to grow. I'm not going to grow if there aren't people serving me. That's just the way that God's created the church. And so thank you. Thank you for serving for the glory of Jesus Christ. As we close, I just want to think about, just, just take a minute to meditate on the absurdity of service. On the absurdity of service. Like imagine just for a moment you're walking in here in this church on a Sunday morning and you have no bearing of, of what it means to be a Christian and you see, you know, there, there's, there's a guy who's been here from 7 until 1.30 serving on the trailer ministry. Like what could possibly compel that person to give up that much time and not just go golfing? And that person says the glory of Jesus Christ because I believe there's, there's a greater reason. I believe there's a greater pursuit in life to help you see the, serv- the glory of Jesus Christ. You walk in and you see people who have come early, who have given their time to shake hands at the front door, people who have come early to set up, people who are forsaking themselves, forsaking their own desires for what? Not money. Not money. Not fame. Sometimes not even pleasure. Sometimes service is hard. And yet these people, they keep coming out because they believe that their service is pointing to something that's infinitely important, infinitely glorious, something that's worthy of everyone's captive attention, the glory of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so let me compel you to do this. Continue to serve Jesus. Consider a church of people filled with serving for no other reason than the fact that Jesus Christ has come to serve them. That Jesus Christ has come to give his life as a ransom for them. Who seeing the, these people, they're serving because they've seen the call to service in the fact that Jesus came to die and they see the character of service that is to be modeled in them in the example of Jesus coming to die and they see the context of service as the church and they're working faithfully faithfully 
to glorify Jesus in it, working faithfully to show others that they love them before they even love themselves. Let me just compel you to be a person who takes up the call to serve and put Jesus on the altar of their praise, who sees that Jesus has come down for you, has come down to die on a cross for you, has come down to serve you, and in light of that, may God make us a people who long to glorify him with every minute of our existence. Let's pray. Father, Father, we just acknowledge how deeply we need you. God, how none of this, this is just so useless if you won't do the work, God, in our hearts. We can't change our own hearts. We just can't do it, Lord. We need you desperately to show us the joy of service. We need you desperately to show us the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. We need you desperately to show us the wonder of having the Son of God come to serve us. And so, God, we pray that you would work and ignite in us a passion to serve others, ignite in us a passion to put others first. God, we need you to do that work, and we long to see the glory of Jesus Christ. We long to see the cross glorified in the hearts of people who once didn't believe and now do because they saw a group of people that you were working selfless service in. God, do that work in us, we pray, all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.